Hey y'all, it's Janice here, aka J Nice on the mic, and this is Dirty Diversity, a podcast on all things diversity, equity, and inclusion. This podcast is called Dirty Diversity because in this day and age, diversity has become sort of a dirty or bad word that causes a lot of knee-jerk and negative reactions. The goal of this podcast is to dissect diversity, or lack thereof, inside and outside of companies, and also to discuss current events around equity and inclusion, as well as discussing solutions for creating a more cohesive world and workplace. My name is Janice, aka J Nice on the mic. <laughs> that was and still is my moniker on YouTube. Some of you may know I started a YouTube channel almost 10 years ago to discuss topics around race and black identity, and it seemed to really resonate with my audience. I'm also a TEDx speaker, a professor, a diversity and inclusion consultant, and a writer with a PhD in organizational psychology. Welcome to Dirty Diversity, and thank you so much for joining me. I'm so happy to have you here with me. Hey y'all, Jay Nice on the mic and feeling good today. Today's um, Monday, November 9th. And um, as we all know by now, like we have a new president and vice president elect. Child, I got so much sleep last night. I just, I think all of us this week, this past weekend probably slept just a little bit better. Um... Today's episode is really going to focus on just some trends that I noticed regarding voters. Um, So, you know, um, I'm going to leave a link to an article that I wrote recently. Um, I dropped an article Friday uh, when the numbers came out last week regarding uh, the U.S. presidential election, who voted for whom. And it was interesting. Um, 90% of Black people, unsurprisingly, voted for Biden-Harris. Um, looking at the breakdown by gender, though, and race was really interesting. Um, black men's support for Trump went up slightly. Um, interestingly, black uh, white men's support for Trump went down. I think white men went from 60% Trump to um, 50 something percent. So among white men, but I think the trend that was the most interesting was that Trump's support from white women actually increased. So in 2016, about 52 to 53% of white women voted for Trump. And in 2020, um, the initial exit polls show that about 55% of white women voted for Trump. So you know, I I was really excited when I woke up. Um, you know, I'm a night owl, so I stay up pretty late doing work. Woke up pretty early, or sorry, not early. Um, I woke up around the time of the announcement on Saturday, November seventh, when they announced um, the president elect. And I woke up to like eighty something text messages from my group chat, from my girls, from everyone. All my friends were hitting me up. We were all hitting each other up. And I was really, really excited because throughout this whole election, I've been like um, anxious. I think we all have been anxious. We've all been experiencing um, election anxiety. 
And I didn't know, I, I felt like more people, I, you know, I felt like Biden was going to get the popular vote. But what, to me, what's really disconcerting and um, what has to be examined and, and broken down and unpacked is, is the fact that, yeah, Biden won the popular vote by millions and millions of votes. His popular vote victory was, of course, much more than Hillary Clinton in 2016. However, what was really mind-blowing and mind-boggling to me was the fact that the election was so close in so many states. I, you know, I'm, I don't talk politics a lot, and I don't, I don't have any issue with anyone, no matter what your political ideology is. However, I think that Donald Trump as a person embodies something outside of anything we've ever seen. It's not a matter of Republican or Democrat or Libertarian. This man embodies and is a symbol of hate. Whether he's actually a racist or not, I don't, I'm not really arguing for one thing or the other. I think this, the man and the people he surrounds himself with know strategy and they know how to embolden people. They know how to incite hate, how to incite, um, emotion out of their, their base. They very well understand the Southern strategy. And I think that he's utilized, the Trump administration has utilized the Southern strategy dog whistles, which are basically like, you know, calling someone a thug. We know what that means, but you're not saying a black person or you're not saying a Latinx person. You're saying, you know, it's coded language used at discriminating against um, black Americans in order to gain the vote of Southern whites. So, you know, I think that uh, Trump has done a really good job utilizing the Southern strategy. Everything he's doing now that we're seeing, research standpoint, he's taken everything from past presidents to Reagan, um, to Nixon, to all of these past presidents. He's really, um, he's really taken what is being done, um, what is being done, what has been done rather, um, by people in the past, and utilizing that to to solidify. Um, solidify his win. And that's how he won in 2016. But what is, again, what's really, um, what's really, like, I really want to celebrate this historic win, you know? Um, first of all, it's so exciting that women of color, I'm not going to call her a black woman because she's not a black woman. I'm not going to call her an Indian woman or a Southeast Asian woman. Um, but she's both. And, you know, I've seen commentary here and there. I have an episode on it where I talk specifically about people who are denigrating her and her blackness. She's a half black woman, you know, but she's not a black woman. I've seen a lot of headlines say black woman in the Oval Office. And it's like, she's not a black woman. Um, we can't, you know, sort of, and I don't think she should, um, she should forget or disregard any part of her heritage. But I don't like the idea of, um, discrediting her blackness. I really, really don't like that. I, I, I don't, I think that we can't discredit the fact that this woman does and is entrenched in the black culture. People have said Kamala Harris picks and chooses what she wants to be when she wants to be it. I think that there is a unique, unique challenge and struggles that people who are biracial experience where they feel like, and they don't know what culture they're part of. They don't know what to classify themselves as. But that's, excuse me, that's neither here nor there. What I think is really exciting is that young girls are going to grow up, young women of color uh, in particular, are going to grow up and feel empowered. 
and they're going to feel like if she can do it, I can do it too. Kamala Harris is the second most powerful person in the world right now. Like, that is amazing. A woman of color, a half black woman, is the second most powerful woman, or second most powerful, I'm sorry, person in the world. Not even man, woman, um, person in the world. So I think that that's really, really encouraging. But, um, I, you know, I, I, I was happy. A few people, you know, one person in particular hit me up. I think because he um, saw on my Instagram, I wasn't like posting celebratory messages. If you watch my Instagram stories, and I have a link to my Instagram in the show notes, I was like posting um, different types of things, but I wasn't, you know, a lot of my close to me were posting really hopeful and celebratory messages about um, Kamala Harris. A lot of people were crying. You know, a lot of public figures we know were crying. And, um... I, I think everyone's entitled to their emotion, but just me personally, I cannot overlook the fact that so many people still voted for Trump. So many white people, but so, so many in particular white women. These are the same white women who were on social media professing that black lives mattered, professing that they care about black people in our lives, and they're actively voting against our interests. I think that the the voter demographics are just a perfect example of white racial solidarity because i cannot we cannot overlook the fact that after everything that this man has done and i break it down a little bit um in the article that i wrote in the show notes it's only like a small breakdown this is probably a fraction of everything that Donald Trump as a person has done while he was president outside of his presidency. And I provide I provide all of the receipts in the article. I like to provide a lot of resources in case someone is like, when was that said? All they got to do is click the hyperlink. But so, I mean, it's, it's just really, really, um, it's just really un- unfortunate that after everything that we've seen, that people still voted for this man. And I was listening to something last night. I listened to this YouTuber, Lovely T, um, and she gives a lot of like interesting analysis. She's one of my favorite YouTubers. Hers is more pop culture dialogue, and she gives her analysis, but she does get into politics here and there. Um, but one thing she did say, and I've heard, been hearing people saying, was that Joe Biden would, would, would not have won had COVID not happened. That like COVID was really the straw that broke America's back and America could not after 250,000, a quarter of a million people have died because of our leadership and our inept, the ineptness of our leaders, um, who did not take adequate action and his base, a lot of his base refuses to listen to scientists and people who, who understand the science of of infectious diseases and so i uh, you know what what i think is really interesting to me is like what would have happened i know we can't think and shoulda coulda wouldas but i still think like what would have happened if trump would have like what would have happened if covid hadn't have ha- if covid didn't happen would trump have one still. So Americans as a whole, millions of Americans were willing to overlook the fact that this man, 
even if he himself is not a racist, you know, people pull up old pictures where he's posing with rappers, he was on Fresh Prince, he was on, he aligned himself with black people, but there's a lot of evidence that he has discriminatory, racially discriminatory practices. So I... I think that one thing that we cannot argue with is the man knows strategy. The man knows how to incite and in, how to incite his base. And so I think that what's so fascinating to me, probably because I have a psychology background, as someone who studied a little bit of psychology, a little bit of sociology, a little bit of social psychology, is that like so many people were willing to overlook his obvious alignment with racism and vote for their interests. So as a white person, right? If you're a white person, shout out to my white listeners. If you're a white person listening to this, if you were one of those people that was in my DMs this summer or in any any of the racial educator, racial equity educators DMs or anti-racism educator DMs this summer, um allyship, let me tell you, allyship to me as a black woman and again, I'm just one person, Allyship to me as a black woman is taking me into consideration when you make decisions that affect my life. As a black woman, if you say that you think my life as a black woman matters, when you go to the polls, you should be thinking about how your vote is not just going to impact you, your white significant other, your white children, your white friends and family, but also how your vote is going to impact those people that you allegedly, supposedly are advocating for. So what I, I cannot wrap my mind around is the fact that so many white women were willing to overlook how your vote for a man who has emboldened white supremacists and neo-Nazis, your vote directly impacts me as a black woman. And, you know, I know that Biden and Harris each have their own um, faults. I'm not saying that they are the perfect candidates, that they are the, you know, whatever you think of them. I'm really focusing on the current administration and how problematic Maya Angelou, Dr. Maya Angelou, told us believe people when they show us their true colors. And we saw this man's true colors and we just chose to look at the world with white women, chose to look at the world with rose-colored glasses and pretend that this was not this man's true colors. He showed us, he showed us who he was, who he is. So I just, you know, while I'm really excited, I see, you know, some of my friends with kids are, you know, I have a, a couple of friends who have um, biracial children, and I think they feel really, like, happy and excited about the results, of course, because they have biracial daughters, and it's like, look, my daughters have this amazing example to look up to. Absolutely, but we cannot be coddled into or we cannot be lulled into a false sense of security because we have Democrats in office. I, again, cannot get over the fact that so many people voted for this man after everything. Like, taking, not even, like, take COVID into consideration. Still, the the, the way that this man handled COVID, people still voted for him to the point where it's still being contested. And this man is saying, just spewing lies that he had 71 million 
votes in, what did he say? 71 million. I, I don't even follow the things that he says because they're all blatant lies. But I think he, I saw some something where he tweeted or he said he had 70 million votes um, somewhere. And then uh, they said that that wasn't accurate. Or they, you know, he's contesting right now in several states, he's contesting and saying that, the, you know, the Biden administration rigged the election and all of these things. And it's it's not based on reality. It's not based on reality at all. So I, I, I just cannot get over in my spirit. It doesn't sit well thinking about how with everything that this man has done in his four years, nearly four years in office, we are able to overlook his blatant racism, his blatant white supremacy, and still vote for our interests, but in the same breath, shout Black Lives Matter, and I care about Black Indigenous people of color. No, I think that while I'm really excited about this victorious win, I am just, you know, it, it does it just doesn't sit well in my spirit, y'all. I just am like, I, I can't fully wrap my mind around the fact that, and I understand what it is. It's, you know, it's hard for people to break from white racial solidarity. But I think that um, if we ever want to see progress, you know, if you're a white person listening to this, if you ever expect to see progress, and if you are striving to be anti-racist and to use your power and your privilege to impact change, you have to think about how your vote, not just in the presidential elections, but in local elections, who you're voting for, for senators, how does that not only impact you, but how does that impact people of color? How does that impact marginalized groups? And I think that until people think more holistically and until people think with the collective in mind and until more Americans adopt a collectivist mindset and move away from this individualistic mindset, we're going to keep having the same issues that we're having. I think when you look at what's happening as far as the mask, anti-maskers, right? I think essentially that's just super disgusting to me. Like the fact that I get that you can think that, um, you can think that, uh, what's it called? Um, COVID, people call it a pandemic. People think it's a hoax. People think it's fake, whatever. Um, I'm not here to argue one thing or another, but the simple fact that like people have gotten it um, and people have died from it should be enough for you to say, even though I think that this is a hoax, I'm still going to wear a mask to protect others. But we're so selfish in this country. <clears throat> and I say this while still feeling like America is the best country in the world. To take the words of James Baldwin, he said something like, um, I love America so much that I criticize her, um, and I, I, I feel the same way. Like, I love this country, of course, but I, I see a lot of, you know, I think that we there's improvements to be made, and there's ways that we can get better, and I think that one of the things that really worries me about this country and raising children in this country is that we are so individualistic to the point where we don't we don't give a you know we don't give a f about people and the their well-being we don't think of, of the collective um we are not 
we don't adopt more of an, you know, I would love to see more of an egalitarian mindset where we're thinking about the greater good. And I think until as a country, we are willing to put our white racial solidarity and our anti-blackness until we're willing to dismantle that. I don't, I don't think we're going to see progress. And I think while I want to celebrate this momentous win, um, and you know, I have my, one of my close friends is searching for newspapers in New York city for me. Um, cause I, I think it's an amazing moment I'm really, really disheartened by the fact that so many people, again, voted against the interest of Black, Indigenous, people of color, and marginalized groups. I just, I don't know. And that's me. I don't know. I guess my questions that I want to leave you with and that I want you to think about is, how do we get white people to break white racial solidarity? One. Number two, how do we get people to adopt more of a collectivist mindset and think less about you as an individual, but more so about how your individual actions are going to impact the collective. So those are my two questions. How do we break white racial solidarity and how do we adopt more of a collectivist mindset? Because I think that until we if we, you know, our, we're an individualistic country. We score pretty high on the individualistic scale. And Hofstede's cultural dimensions um, are like characteristics of different countries based on a number of different criteria. And the U.S. is pretty high, unsurprisingly, on um, the characteristics of individualism. And that's what makes our country great. But I also think that's what's going to lead to the detriment of our countries, that we're so individualistic that we don't care about anybody else. And I think that that could not have been more prevalent. No, that couldn't have been more. um, There couldn't have been a better example of that. That's what I want to say. There couldn't have been a better example of our selfishness and our individual our individualism than what we saw happening in the beginning of the pandemic in the U.S. There was a man, and I know there were multiple people doing this, that were hoarding. This man bought mad um, hand sanitizers. He bought mad hand sanitizers to hoard them, to price gouge them. He bought these bottles probably for $1.99 and then was, was flipping them to get a profit on Amazon and selling them for $20 in a global pandemic. You have to be a, you have to have a special type of character to do that. Like I can't even, I'm not without flaw and without fault. I think we're all flawed people and we all have faults, but that really didn't sit well with me. The fact that our moral compass is like <laughs> the fact that people think that that's okay. And I don't know, maybe that was happening in other countries. Who knows? I don't know if that was happening in co- these collectivist countries where people were like, because people think about what is going to be good for the greater good, what is going to be helpful for the greater good. And I think if we, if we continue to think only about ourselves and how politicians and how leadership in this country is going to help us put more money in our individual pockets, I don't see any sort of progress being made. So I know that that's very, um, that's very somber, somber words. And that's very like, I don't know. I, it's not, um, 
I don't know. I guess maybe it's not an optimistic sort of outlook. I'm very optimistic. I'm always going to be optimistic. I'm always going to fight for our country and fight for the marginalized. And I think I do this work because I do think people have the capacity to change. But it's still very disappointing to see that despite everything we've seen in these last four years, people were still okay and comfortable with voting for a person that is a clear representation of white supremacy, white nationalism, anti-blackness. And so I guess that's those are my thoughts. Um, but thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And again, thinking, th I want you to just think about those two questions of how do we break white racial solidarity? And that's a question more for the white people. Um, how do you break white racial solidarity and how do we adopt more of a collectivist mindset where we're thinking about the greater good of all and not just ourselves? So thank you all for listening and um, I will check y'all out in the next episode of the Dirty Diversity Podcast.